Welcome to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. I'm Dr. Glenn Kinkin, Senior Minister here at Centenary. My hope is that this podcast will give you some good news for your journey today. Good morning. Hey. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Prezrites, Hivites and Jebusites, and now the cry of the oppressed, and now the cry of the Israelites have reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Honor. Well, good morning. Some of you came to worship, if you're visiting with us for the first time, you probably got this morning and said, let's go try the church down on 5th Street, the Methodist Church there, Centenary, and we'll find out if it's a place for us. I wonder if the minister's any good. Well, let me tell you what, you're really in no different place than the membership here. This is your first Sunday, this is my first Sunday, and everyone wonders, is the minister any good? I think he wonders that too, but we'll get to that later. Honestly, I am so humbled to be here with you. Uh, This journey, my faith journey began in this place. It was here in the Sunday school classrooms of this church that I began to understand more about the Bible and more about what God uh, was calling me to do as a human being in terms of being a disciple and a follower. It was in this place that my faith began, not just the faith that we learned in Sunday school, but how to live it out in the world beyond the walls of the church. If you had told me when I graduated high school some 30 years ago that I would be a minister, I would have politely nodded and said, wow, that's amazing. And in the subtext of my head said, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. 
And then you fast forward a little bit further. And if you'd said, I think not only will you be a minister, but you'll be the senior minister at Centenary one day, I'd have smiled politely. I was raised to do that. And I would have thought, oh, wow, they're really nuts. God's got a sense of humor, doesn't God? (laughs) Here I am. (laughs) So anyway, so as we start our journey together, pastor and congregation, I look forward to seeing what we're going to do. I look forward to seeing how God is going to call us. But more importantly, I look forward to meeting you, hearing your story, your journey of faith, and seeing what God is doing in your life. Would you pray with me? Almighty and gracious God, we gather to worship, to hear your word read and proclaimed. And as we do so, I humbly ask that you would open our ears, that we would hear your voice clearly. Open our hearts that we would know your love. But open our very souls that our lives would be transformed so that we would leave this place not just hearers of your word, but doers of your word. In your son's holy name we pray. Amen. So I went to college to be a banker. I'm just going to be out front and honest with you. In 1988, when I graduated high school, Wall Street was booming. Everything was good. I mean, I liked money. Money was good. I still like money because of what money can do. But I went, to, I went to college to be a banker, and as I went there, I also felt this hole in my life. I had grown up involved in church, always in church, always doing something, always learning, but always contributing. And so by the second week of college, I plopped down in the minister's office at Davidson Methodist Church, and I said, Bruce, I want to do something. And of course, as all good ministers do, he gave me the hardest question I could answer at the time, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what I can offer. I mean, I'm just a freshman in college. What can I do? How can I help the church? And he said, well, you know, Glenn, he said, we've got this youth program. We've got these great adults that lead it, but they could use a couple of other people to help lead. Have you ever thought about working with our youth group? Have you ever thought about working with teenagers? And it seemed pretty logical when you think about it. And I said, well, you know, Bruce, I was a teenager once a couple of months ago. So sure, why not? So I, I said that. And so you fast forward, that was, you know, a couple of weeks in the semester and right, you know, we, then that was going great. And I did that for several years. And then right before Christmas break, my junior year on the way out of church, Bruce says to me, he says, Hey, look, our youth program is going great. I think, I think I want to do a youth led worship service one Sunday in January where the youth do everything. And I want you to preach. And I said, sure. And as I'm driving home, driving back to Winston-Salem, I get to about Moxville and I realize what I've said yes to do. Now, what you don't know is at that point in my life, I was terrified of talking in front of any group of people larger than my roommate. I mean, I just, no, no, we don't talk to groups. I was petrified in high school when you had to recite the opening prologue of the Canterbury Tales. I mean, I froze up locked up, mm -mm, not happening. I was terrified, whatever, I was scared to death. (laughs) Easy for me to say, right? And, uh, And so I got that way and I thought to myself as I'm driving home, what in the world have you agreed to do? 
I mean, you're talking in front of people. You are doing the most important presentation of any week. You have agreed to lead and deliver the Sunday sermon. Are you out of your ever-loving mind? But now remember, I grew up involved in the church and I suffer from the I can't say no to church gene. So it really didn't matter that this internal struggle inside, I was going to do it. Now, brothers and sisters, I will tell you that there has been no greater rehearsed sermon in the history of humankind than the sermon delivered in January of 1991, except for maybe this one. (laughs) You got that, didn't you? Good. You're with me. Just making sure. But anyway, and I I remember as I stood in the pulpit, I was scared to death, petrified, just shaking. And then as the words of God tumbled out of my mouth in the sermon, I'm sure it was brilliant or we got through it. It happened. And then as I remember, I I stepped off the, stepped out of the pulpit and I sat down and all of that angst, all that anxiety was gone. And now there was a new wrestling, a new turmoil, a new inner discomfort. Because what I found myself as I listened and as I, as I studied that and thought about it and prayed about it the next couple of days, I realized there was now this new turmoil. All that fear about speaking in public was replaced about this question. Was it banking or ministry? Souls or savings accounts? There was this discomfort with my future vision. What was God calling me to do? Banking or ministry, souls or savings accounts? Now, I don't know about you, but when I've always wrestled with God and there's this turmoil of what's supposed to happen, I'll be honest with you, I just assume have a billboard. I just be driving down the interstate and this billboard that says, Glenn, go into the ministry or Glenn, don't go into the ministry. Whatever it is, I don't care the answer. I just would like to know it in great big letters so that we can all see it or specifically at least me. You know, and I thought about it, I thought about that, a billboard, or maybe even the Magic 8-Ball where I could get that thing. You remember the Magic 8-Ball? You'd shake it and there's like a dodecahedron or something in there and it's got all these answers. And I could say, you know, God, do you want me to go to ministry? And it would say uh, either Outlook, not so good, or yes. Instead, I think if I shook it, it probably would have said concentrate and ask again. The great thing about the Magic 8-Ball is it was a lot of fun as a kid, but you know, nowadays, today's kids, I mean, they've got apps for everything. There's a Magic 8-Ball app, and I can imagine myself putting that question in and shaking the phone and getting the same answers. But what I was really asking, what I was really looking for was the answer to this question. Do bushes still burn? I mean, I thought about Moses. Moses' calling was so clear, do bushes still burn? And I wondered about that. And so all through the rest of the second semester of my junior year, I was wrestling with that question. And end of the summer, trying to figure out, is it banking or ministry? What is it that God's calling me to do? And that summer, our youth group in Davidson was going on a mission trip, going up to the Hinton Rural Life Center, which those of you that know that, it's a mission outpost of the southeast jurisdiction of the United Methodist Church. And during the summers, they bring in youth groups and they do home repair ministries. And so I was along as a responsible adult chaperone, also quite humorous if you think about it, at 21. But anyway, I'm there and they got all the leaders together one night and they said, now listen, we need to divide up bedtime duty. We need a responsible set of adults to make sure that the kids get in their rooms, they get in their beds, they turn the lights out and that they go to sleep and they let everybody else get a good night's rest. They keep the noise down and they're perfectly quiet. 
Now, if you know anything about youth groups and adult leaders, that's the last job anyone wants to do, getting youth to settle down at night. For whatever reason, I volunteered, probably not the best person for that job, but it is what I volunteered to do. And so that Wednesday night, the middle of the week, I got the kids in and I said, look, here's the deal. Y'all just go, go in your rooms, turn your lights off, get in your beds. If you have to talk, whisper. Just if you have to talk, whisper, but just don't let me hear you. And don't wake the other adults up because it makes me look bad. And I want to look good. It makes me look bad in front of the other adults. So just do that. So I, I, I sent them all a packing and they all went to bed. And I go out on the back porch of the Hinton Rural Life Center. And I sat there and I just listened for the building to settle down. And I sat there and I just rocked. All the other adults were asleep. Everybody had turned in and I wasn't yet tired. Wrestling with this question as I had been for now six months. Wrestling with this question. And I finally remember as I was wrestling with it, whether God wanted me to go in ministry or not, what was it that God wanted me to do? I remember I finally got to this, this crescendo of just anxiety and I finally blurted it out loud. I said, God, what do you want? Do you want me to be a minister? Now, parenthetically, never ask God the question that you really want answered if you're not sure you want to hear the answer. Because I asked that, and as I asked that question, I said, God, do you really want me to be a minister? Just like that. Everything went still. The cicadas stopped. The crickets stopped. The wind and the pond ceased. What birds that were chirping, whatever was rustling in the bushes, all stopped. The turmoil in my heart ceased. I knew the answer. I not only knew the answer, but I knew in that moment in time, in that place, that I was standing on holy ground. There on the back porch of the Hinton Rural Life Center, at that moment in time, God's presence was all around me, and I knew the answer. And at that moment in time, I had a greater appreciation of Moses' call story than I've ever had before or since. See, in today's text, we read about the call of Moses, and we know that Moses is out tending his flock, doing what it is that shepherds do, kind of looking after the sheep, kind of just dreaming about life, thinking how wonderful everything is. And as he does that, all of a sudden he sees a bush over to the side burning, but not yet consumed. And I loved what some texts say. Some texts have Moses record like the most understated statement of the year. This is strange. I mean, way to go, Captain Obvious. This is strange. And then he says, but I must go closer to see what's going on. And as Moses approaches the bush that's burning but not yet consumed, he hears the voice of God saying, Moses, Moses. And God's voice instructs him to take off his shoes because he's standing on holy ground. And then what I love is the way that text ends. It says, I am with you. I am the God of your ancestors and I am with you. And this text teaches us, it gives us a better understanding of how we can recognize that when God is calling us, God is speaking to us, when God is challenging us to do that which we had no clue we could do. This text shows us how we can hear 
God's call. From it, we learn that God's calling is not in our time, but it is in God's time. It's a surprise to many of us and all of us along the way that the ground is holy, not because of the location, but because of God's presence, that holy ground can occur just anywhere. But that it's once we realize that you and I are standing on holy ground, that we need to tune out the world and lean in and listen intently to the Lord, our God. God's calling comes to us not on our time, but on God's timetable. I mean, throughout the scriptures, we understand that God is the master of the universe and the master of all time and the master of how all things come to be. Weeks and generations in our lives are but yet moments in the life of God. And when I think back to my own call to ministry, my own story, I think maybe if I was honest with myself, I might have had an inkling that God was calling me to ministry maybe as early as my high school years. But I wasn't ready to hear it. My faith wasn't mature enough. My faith wasn't strong enough. I wasn't focused enough to hear what it was that God had in store for me. But the good news for you and for me, my brothers and sisters, is that we serve a God that plays the long game. We serve a God that is willing to be patient and wait us out, a God that is willing to work on us not to wear us down, but to prepare us so that we can hear those messages from God's Spirit at the time that's right for us. For me, it wasn't until July of that year where there was a crisis of calling that left me open enough to hear God's words in God's time, not my own. Now, I'll confess to you, I sure would have liked to have known back in November or December when I said yes to preaching that that's where God was going to call me because then I could have changed my schedule and not had to suffer through econometrics and statistics. I mean, I love math with letters, but if you're not going to go into economics and you're not going to need econometrics, why go through that journey? Especially if you're going to end up talking in front of people every week. And if you do anything with numbers, it's numbers, not letters. But anyway, See, if we want to hear God's call, my brothers and sisters, we've got to do one thing in our lives. We've got to be patient. We've got to find that patience where we're not looking for the instant gratification and instant return. Oh yeah, as soon as I thought that that turmoil was there, I wanted the billboard, but I've come to realize that God wants us to be ready to hear. God wants us to be calm in our spirit. You know, in our day and age of high-speed internet and instant text messaging and emails, where if you send a text message, you expect somebody to get it right back to you. That is very different than the way our God works. All morning long, my phone was blowing up with friends wishing me well, hoping that I would do okay, wanting to know how the nine o'clock service went. I've left the phone over in the haven in my office because I don't have time to respond to everyone. And of course, some of them will text me later, did you get my text? (laughs) And then they will call me and say, did you get my texts, plural? We'll get through that. But you see, my brothers and sisters, we always want instant answers, but God wants us to be ready to hear them. We serve a God that wants us to be patient and to be still so that we can listen. We want a God, we have a God that serves us and wants us to not only be still, but wants us to recognize when we're in the presence of God. You know, Moses' encounter was holy, not because of where he was standing, not because that hillside was the place that was holy to the Jewish people, but it was holy because God was there. 
John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, when he was struggling with his own faith, struggling with his own calling, he wasn't sure that he had it all figured out. And he kept questioning after he kept searching for it. And you imagine this, a, a minister, an Episcopal priest, worrying about this. And yet he wasn't sure. And it was finally several years into his active ministry when he was standing at Aldersgate and he was standing there and he was preaching and he opens up the Bible and he reads from Romans. He says, and he records this, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Because at that moment in time, he knew God was present. He was able to see, able to hear, able to feel God's presence in his life. See, for me in that moment on that back porch of the Hintrell Life Center, in the manifold stillness, in the quiet of the evening, I realized that God was all around me, that I was in the thick of holy ground. See, my brothers and sisters, God is around us and God speaks to us every day, but do we recognize God's presence? Are we focused so much that we can recognize God's presence in our lives, in our workplaces, in our friends around us, and the things that they say, the things that they do, the opportunities that approach us? Are we focused so much, focused enough that we can see God in our midst. Because when we are, then we can hear God's call on our life. Finally, to hear God's call, we've got to take our shoes off. We've got to, we've got to be much like Moses. Remember, God told Moses, take your shoes off because you're on holy ground. This was not only an act of contrition, but it's also a symbolic act, a metaphorical act, not just to take our shoes off, literally, but to imagine shutting the world out, to make a difference, to be that focused on what God is calling us to do. My first church in Thomasville, as I was moving in during the, the transition time period, I remember sitting down with my predecessor and I looked over the office and there was tons of bookshelves. And there was this beautiful cabinet in the corner. I mean, a huge cabinet that was this beautiful piece of furniture, as you could imagine, in a furniture town. And I thought, that's going to be great for storage. It's awesome. It's wonderful. And I remember the first week when I moved in, I, you know, I had all my boxes, all my stuff that ministers tend to drag around with us. You know, and it was, it was amazing. And I got there and I put my books on the shelf and I had a few other things that I thought, these will be great in that cabinet. And I go to open the doors. And I can tell you that there has never been any more disappointment other than maybe a young boy on Christmas Day who opens up a package and finds a shirt. I mean, I open this thing up and there's dials and there's knobs and there's lights and there's all kinds of stuff. I mean, it looked like the dive center of a World War II submarine. And I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, why is this in my office? And about that time, the facilities manager comes in and goes, oh yeah, by the way, uh, you've got all the controls to the air conditioning for the church. Talk about power. <sighs> so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking, well, I've got the dive center and I've shut the doors and found stuff, another place for my stuff. But a couple of weeks later, when it was time for our quarterly maintenance on the air conditioning, the AC tech, Eddie, he comes in and over the years, Eddie and I kind of got to know each other. And he came in one day, a couple of years later, and he says to me, he goes, hey, pastor, do, do you have a prayer closet? That is the oddest question that I've been asked by the AC guys. 
Pastor, do you have a prayer closet? And so I'm thinking, but my answer is, and he says, well, you know, it says in the Bible that when you pray, you should go into your closet, shut the door and pray to your Lord God where no one can see you. And I said, well, Eddie, I don't really have a closet like that. I said, now I pray and I shut the world out. He goes, yeah, Pastor. He says, but let me tell you what I did. He said, um, we took the guest room and I told my wife that we had to clear all the stuff out of the guest room closet because that was going to be my prayer closet. And so I go in there every day and I shut the door and I pray. Do you have a prayer closet? Now, we had a guest room that, I don't know what your guest room is like, but our guest room, the closet there, we had a space for our guests to hang a shirt or two. But that's where the Christmas ornaments hid. And um, I just wasn't willing to find a new place for the Christmas ornaments because there wasn't a lot of storage. But I've often thought about Eddie's prayer closet because his sentiment is right. We need a place and we want to talk to God where we can tune the world out to be on that holy ground like Moses, where we take our shoes off and tune the world out and just listen. Bring our petitions and just listen. And maybe we listen by reading scripture. We're singing the old hymns of the church. We're sitting in silence or writing, or drawing, or something like that. But what we need to do is we need to tune the world out so that we can listen intently to God. So there at the Hinton Rural Life Center, in that instant, when everything stopped and I realized I was surrounded by God's Spirit. In that instant, I really forgot all about the teenagers I was responsible for. Probably not a really good thing to share with people, but... I'd forgotten all about them. I'd forgotten all about the work that we were to do the next day, the house that we were working on, the supplies that we needed to get, the paperwork that needed to be turned in. I forgot about everything and just listened. And oh, I heard. Oh, I heard what God was calling me to do. So the question for us, here in 2018, as we sit here and worship today, is what can we do? How can we shut the world out now when the world has so much noise, so much activity, so many things? What can you and I do to shut the world out so that we can recognize that we're standing on holy ground, hearing God speak to us? See, my brothers and sisters, I know that God is calling each of us. God is calling each of us. God is calling this church to do something amazing in 2018 and beyond, something amazing for the kingdom, something amazing for this community, something amazing for our world. But we've got to be patient. We've got to be patient and realize that God is going to do this in God's time, that we've got to look for God present amongst us, and that we've got to tune out the noise around us so that we may hear it. As you and I start our journey together, as we start walking and start listening to figure out what it is that God wants us to do, I invite you to walk with me. I invite you to walk with me and to yearn that we would hear God's call upon our hearts, God's call upon our congregation, God's call to how we can transform the world around us. Because whether we want to admit it or not, as we look around this room, you and I are standing on God's holy ground and God is speaking to us, calling us forward 
to do something amazing. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to Heart, Soul, and Mind, the podcast from Centenary United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll consider joining us for worship on Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock or Sunday mornings at 8.30, 9, or 11. Have a blessed day.